Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging. Maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. Let me... Turn your attention tonight to the book of Genesis, the 25th chapter. While you're turning there, we certainly want to continue to pray and ask God's blessing. I do regretfully announce that Sister Piper's sister passed away, and we want to continue to lift her up in prayer and ask God's strength and peace. Your church family loves you. We're praying for her. This is such a loss. Sister Hauk, we're praying for you, for this family. I want to say thank you publicly. I haven't had the opportunity to do this. You've been praying for my father, dealing with some sickness. Um, He does need a miracle in his body. And um, you know what? We know the miracle worker. And we're very confident in that. And so I want to say thank you for the prayers, for the texts, for the statements of concern. I want us to continue to keep those we've been praying for in prayer. Prayer works. If you've ever been the result of prayer working, wave your hand real, real, yep, yep. Anybody that didn't wave your hand, you missed it because you are. You're here because somebody prayed for you. Yep. Yep. Maybe you prayed for you. Maybe a pastor prayed for you, but maybe a mom or a dad or a grandparent. We are the result of prayer. Amen. Amen. All right. We've been dealing with healthy relationships. It's hard to believe that we're at the end of February, isn't it? Has anyone enjoyed the sunshine? Is anyone ready for spring? Okay. Well, okay. Well. It's kind of amens I'm looking for tonight. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to read verses 23 through 28 for our Bible study tonight because we're talking about healthy families. We're going to take a look here at a family dynamic, and it's going to cover all of us. How many know there are no cookie-cutter families anymore? It just, it's not a new thing. Sometimes we look back and and, and people will say there are no more like, I've heard the expression a lot, leave it to beaver families, you know. Listen, I think they were messed up. Just to tell you the truth. Um, but, but we're dealing with people that have all kinds of hurt, trial, tragedy. And, and the devil would love to make you think that because you've got a problem or your kids have had a problem, if anybody knew that you wouldn't be as honored The truth is, real people have real problems. The the grace in this is that we have a real God. Amen? And his word can and will help us if we'll allow it. Verse, Verse 23, and the Lord said unto her, speaking about Rebekah, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. This was a a 
pretty tough thing to consider. Culturally, it would not be acceptable. But it's what the Lord told Rebecca was going to happen. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like an hairy garment. What a description. Way to go. They called his name Esau. They thought about calling him hairy guy, but Esau is what they went with. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. Now, no one here, you don't have to be in the medical profession to know that's not right. Okay? That's, that's odd, but it happened. Okay? His name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau. Please key in here on verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. That's a, is that like not a really shallow, manly reason? Like, which one's your favorite? Makes deer good. Let's go with Esau. It's terrible, but it's true. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, Verse 29, we'll get to in just a minute. Until then, until, before you're seated, jump over to chapter 27, if you will, and, and I want to read three verses here that they really help frame in this story that, that most of us in the room, we know really well, but I feel like we're supposed to process through this. I recently processed through this, and uh, I feel like I'm supposed to teach about it tonight. Verse 15 of chapter 27, Rebecca took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. She had heard, by proximity, she had been close enough to overhear that her husband was going to bless Esau. And so she brings together this deceptive plan. She concocts this plan. And she is putting Esau's garments upon Jacob, verse 16, and she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. She puts Esau's coat on him. She takes hairy skin from the flock and puts upon him. That's odd. And then she takes meat that she has prepared and gives it to her son, the younger son, for him to present to the father. Um, I want to deal with some of this stuff in regards to wherever you fall in this narrative because I think all of us fall somewhere in this narrative. Would you pray with me, Lord? I pray that you'd help me with wisdom and clarity to be able to work through this here tonight. Uh, I don't want to take longer than necessary, but I don't want to shortchange this opportunity either. We want to be godly. We want our homes to be godly, to reflect you. Help us. Someone right now, would you begin to pray with me? God, give me wisdom. 
Give me wisdom to live the way you want me to live. Whether you're a single young adult, whether you're a young married couple, whether you're a set of grandparents, come on, everyone in the room, God, give me wisdom to live the way I'm supposed to live. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. And let everyone say amen. Amen. God bless you. And you may be seated. Healthy relationships, really talking here tonight about healthy families. I launch with a pretty strong statement, and I know that you're being seated and settling in, but I want to give you this statement from the beginning, and I hope everyone will be in agreement with me. And even if you don't agree, just act like you do, because it's, it's accurate. We have no right to try and manipulate the will of God. I want to tell you that this story is one that has been discussed, taught, preached for centuries. And I think we read over Rebecca's involvement too casually based on the fact that in chapter 25, the Lord told Rebecca, the younger is going to be the guy that leads the older. The older will be submitted to the younger. Can I remind us from the beginning here that God does not need us to become deceptive to get his will accomplished. For your kid, here we go. Boy, I'm just going to come out of the gate swinging. For your kid to succeed, God does not need you to be a helicopter parent or helicopter grandparent that swoops in and put somebody else's clothes on them, makes them feel like someone they're not, or does all the preparation and acts like they're the one that actually cultivated it. And Rebecca did all of that saying, well, I'm in line with the will of God. I'm going to disprove that theory. Okay. Here we start in chapter 25 with the verses that we did not read, for in 29, Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. And Jacob said, no problem, give me your birthright. What a jerk, right? I'm hungry, I'm I'm starving, and his, his casual statement is, what good is this birthright if I die? Now, I don't know if anyone besides me has ever had a child that's been a little dramatic at dinner time. You ever had a kid tell you they're starving, and you just, you're not starving. You don't. Starving. What good is this birthright? We often simply put these together, birthright and blessing. They are not together, but I will tell you this. 
When birthright becomes casually dismissal, blessing has a tendency to be lost. Okay? Ladies and gentlemen, we should honor what we have been born into as members of the body. I have to be able to parallel tonight a little bit of this physically with spiritually, with the family of Jacob and Esau, and even with the body of Christ in the modern day church. And you're all way beyond smart enough and, and, and wise enough to go right with me in that here tonight. Being a part of this body is a blessing. I'm not talking about Calvary Tabernacle, even though I think that's a blessing. Being a part of the body of Christ is not something that we should take lightly or casually. What we see in the, I would say, arrogance and lack of humility, and maybe what we can read even at face value, he was overwhelmed, exhausted. How many know you don't make good decisions when you're hungry? If you, gentlemen, if you don't agree, ask your wife, they'll tell you. Right? You don't make good decisions. He doesn't make a good decision. The birthright is sold. What good is this if I starve? And a bowl of beans. I heard one preacher uh, preaching one time, and he said, I wonder how Esau felt when he leaned back and belched after that bowl of beans and thought to himself, I can't believe that dude took my birthright over some beans. I can't believe I gave him my birthright. But sometimes giving things away casually makes it feel as though it's not real. Let me, let me say it this way. How many know before you sign some document, you need to read the document? Before you, let me help everybody in the room, before you click accept online, okay? Before you two casually sign, we're in a world full of scammers. There was deceit in this, and, and he gave this birthright away too casually. And for, for the next little while, we're going we're gonna to read about the covenant with Isaac that's, that's had here in chapter 26 and, and some issues with wells that I, I would love to get into, but I don't, I don't feel to tonight. I may come back to this. I, 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 I preached a message from this, from this text that I'm really teaching from tonight, and I entitled it, The Dangers of a Manipulated Blessing. The dangers of a manipulated blessing. I don't want to make Rebecca a hero for saying her deception was in line with the will of God. Well, Esau casually gave up his birthright and he's going to end up losing his blessing. Does that happen? Yes. Were there two nations in her womb? Yes. Was one born hairy and one not? Yes. Was one born holding onto the heel? Yes. All of those things were true. But God nowhere in that description said, and Rebecca, I want you to try to deceive me and deceive the Father. In order for my will to get done, I need you to be a liar. Can I, can I help everybody in the room? God doesn't need us to help make him God. God is God all by himself. And God can, God can take in the right timing and allow the story to turn in such a way. And Rebecca, I want to give you the end of the story here just a little bit. Rebecca is worried because here Esau, we see him as the outdoorsman. He's the, my whole life, uh, Brother Galleon, he's the guy. He's the outdoorsman. He's the hunter. He's the man's man. And we've got him painted as dad's dude. And we've got, you know, he's the venison cooker. And we got Jacob as like this precious little mama's boy. We do. And I think we forget from the beginning of the story 
He's the dude grabbing the heel. Like, I don't think so. I mean, he was a heel grabber from birth. He was a fighter from birth. But anytime as a parent you refuse to let your kids fight and you do the fighting for them, here we go. Young adults, you have learned in this season of life, growing up comes with financial responsibility, emotional responsibility. Some of you are from homes, you're from places where you were used to your parents bailing you out. I don't even want any of the IBC staff to answer out loud, but I bet some of you have got calls from parents. I see some smiles on some faces. Junior got a grade on something, and mom got a whiff of it. I can't believe, he's never got anything but an A in his whole life. <laughs> and the professor wants to say, until now. Pastor Carson, you can't be saying it's wrong to defend our kids. Not at all. It's absolutely right to defend our kids, but it is wrong to not let our kids adult. Young adults, you've got to adult. Parents, we've got to let them. And how many parents along with me know that's a tough line? I'm not saying it's easy. It's tough. Here's how I know I can balance it out. Whenever deception has to enter the picture, I've got to know it's wrong. Deception has to enter the picture. Well, I don't think Jacob is strong enough. Let me, again, I'm coming forward a little bit in this, Rebecca. I don't, I don't think that Jacob is strong enough to do it. Really? Skip forward in the story. When you send him to Laban's house to find a wife, he's going to be one night removed and he's going to watch angels ascending and descending. He's going to go work for a girl that he thinks is beautiful for seven years. Read the narrative. Brother Ross, his, his, his mom said, it'll take a few days. Seven years. And when he gets her, it's not her. It's one of the funniest, worst stories in the whole. The dad's like, well, just work a short time. Seven years. People, most of us in today's, we don't even like seven-month engagements. Seven years. And wakes up the next morning to look in her eyes. Did they not talk all night? This is an old dope group. Okay, anyway. I, my God. <laughs> and then if that wasn't enough, the dad said, well, that's not our culture. Seven more years and you can have her. There's not a guy in this room that wouldn't have wanted to grab her. But what did he do? He said, all right, I love her. And worked for seven more years, ends up with a second wife, the sister. Tell me that's not trauma. That's trauma. <laughs> that is a... Anyway, but this is the guy, listen, this 14-year worker, the guy who's going to have all the cattle, all the, this heel grabber, this angel watcher ascending and descending, this 
14 years living and working is going to be the same guy in Genesis 32, five chapters later, that wrestles an angel all night long. Because even though he's got the blessing of his father, it came through the deceit of his mother. And he's never been able to get over the fact of smelling Esau's clothes on him and feeling goat skin on his arms and on his neck and knowing that he's lying to his father to try to get the... And he gets the blessing, but he never feels blessed. It's why he's got such animosity and concern and trepidation between him and his brother. And there's going to, you know the story, the way it works, that he sends the family over the brook and he stays there and he wrestles all night. The same one whom mom thought she had to helicopter in and bail out had the ability to wrestle an angel of God all night long. Here's the problem, Rebecca. He's got all kinds of fight in him if you will let God's will be done. You don't have to, listen, what God told Rebecca was gonna happen whether she manipulated his will and tried to, here's the problem. Do I think God's will was still accomplished? Absolutely. But do I think that Rebecca tried to put God's will into her timing? Absolutely. That's the danger here. When we know that there is a work or a will of God and we try to manipulate it by making his will become our timing. So what's this have to do with healthy families? Our families have to learn how to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. So let's get, let's get into some of the points that are sandwiched in. The Bible says, that his eyes had grown dim. How many know that if his eyes had not grown dim, he would have been able to tell? We've talked about this. You've heard about this. You've been taught. It's been preached. I've discussed it before. You've heard it many times probably through the years. But somehow, just in case you've missed it, because of what I preached here on Sunday morning about the Word of God, let me remind you that you better be concerned what it sounds like, even if it feels good. Because I've seen a lot of couples get themselves into a mess because they thought it felt okay. And when you are led by your feelings more than what you know to be the accurate word, we would pass the mic around, if we would take a poll in this house, people all across this room are connected to somebody who made damaging decisions based on feelings or emotions. Has anybody, let me, let me pull the crowd this way. Has anybody ever had to live for God when you didn't feel like it? Some of you are like, can we say, are we, do we, can we say that out loud? Is that a new thing? We weren't told. Yeah! Sometimes you show up on Sunday, you don't even want to be here. But about halfway through service. Don't you know that it disrupts the intentions of hell when you stand on what you know is right regardless of what you feel, regardless of what your flesh tries to convince you? But his eyes had begun to age. Now, this is my first point, and it's important for families. I want to have a little fun with this, but I do want to teach it, okay? Please hear me. Aging is inevitable. Okay? 
wrinkles are real. I'll just go get a little Botox. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. Okay? <laughs> Let me be your friend. I told my, I told my wife recently, I said, I, I said, they need a friend. <laughs> they need a friend that will tell them, don't wear that. Everyone needs someone in your life that can tell you, don't wear that anymore. I can feel somebody like, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> and if that's you, you need a friend. <laughs> you, need, you need a friend. One of the things that I have, I have watched and I have witnessed, and I do want to have a, a, a little fun with this, but I want to do it this way because I, I, I need us to get this point across. You need to be okay with the fact as you age, to dress age appropriate. I'm just going to smile just for a minute. Okay? I made this, I made this statement at a national event um, a few years back, and it sent shockwaves through the place. But the flood of response that I got let me know I had hit a bullseye. I found in my years of youth ministry, I didn't deal as much with the kids wanting to compromise as I did the kids being confused by the fact that parents who never would compromise got to 40s, 50s, and started to deal with midlife crisis and now started thinking things should be okay that never were okay. Oh, it's real like it's awkward. Feel that? I feel so comfortable right now. You know why? We're talking about human nature. Just normal. Pastor, what are you preaching against? What are you telling us? I'm telling you, you got to be okay with aging. I'm not telling you, you let, listen, I'm not telling you let yourself go. You can't find that in there. This thought, well, I'm, okay. You have a hard time proving to me that holiness is letting yourself go. It's another lesson, but it's a good statement. Aging, he's aging. His eyes are going. His eyes are growing dim. He's getting to a place where it's older. Therefore, knowing he's got to be able to move this generation transitioning to the next generation. I'm going to say a statement, and I'm, I'm, I'm genuine about this. We need to pray these prayers physically and spiritually. God, help me to age well. If your 60-year-old prayers are no greater than your 16-year-old prayers, elders, you are prayer warriors. That's why we had you come up in the second service in the altar. I felt that on Sunday so strong. I want to remind you, the generation coming behind you is watching how you embrace aging. It's true. 
Pastor, how do you know? Because I'm 42 and I'm watching. I'm watching. I have teenagers that will talk to me and young adults that will talk to me. It's confusing to our younger generation. Can Can I just talk as open as I feel? Where they think things that were always wrong are no longer wrong because you hit this place in life where you don't feel pretty anymore. Can I tell you, the same way that you were beautiful then, you are beautiful in your season now. You are beautiful and you, yeah. And be okay with the aging. Listen, it didn't matter. It did not matter that his eyes were dimming and that he was aging. He was the one responsible for the blessing of the next generation. Elders, if we have ever needed you, My, my, we need you now passing this down, laying your hand. I want to commission every elder in the room. We need you seeing this next generation of middle, not just young people, but middle-aged mothers and fathers and laying your hands upon them in service or sending them a note and say, the Holy Ghost has been prompting me to pray. It's It's a transition. It's a It's a blessing, and it has to come from the elder to the younger. Let me get to another part in this, and I I had fun with this, but we need to address this for families in the room because I want to deal with with biological families, whether it's biological or adoptive, but I also want to deal with this through the, he is our Abba Father and the adoption into the church, okay? With this second, second point here, parental Favoritism is damaging. Okay? I'm going to put this under this umbrella. I'm going to tell you right now, what Rebecca and Isaac had going in the family was odd. And while I'm saying some of these, I'm I'm rushing past some of these statements because there are even some middle-aged and elders in here that you lived through this in your own home. And it still tugs your heartstrings that your brother or your sister was the favorite You're grown and have never been able to completely process it because you know the sting of it. And so let me speak to you for the sting that you still feel. It was wrong. It was wrong. But it is also a great ploy of the enemy to make you think that even as an adult, you can never move past the emotional damage that was caused by the favoritism of one parent towards another child. Parents that are under the sound of my voice, please listen to me. Grandparents as well. Aunts and uncles, you fit this bill as well because I have counseled many of students where aunts or uncles have one favorite and they're very obvious about it. Please listen to me. Showing favoritism is damaging. Well, that's not spiritual. It's very spiritual. If you want to really spiritualize it, let me take you to the fact that, that, that the story I preached from on Sunday, the one verse I did not read was verse 70. The one verse I didn't read is verse 70. In that verse, Brother Caleb, Jesus says to those that he said, are you 12 going to leave me also? He looks at them and he says, I picked 12 of you and one of you is a devil. But he still let him be there. Still kept him around. Until Judas did the betraying, Jesus kept him close. Jesus gave allowance up until the very end, treating them equal. 
treating them the same, loving on them the same. Is anybody in this room besides me the reflection of the truth? Thank God he doesn't play favorites. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have the last name to be here. I don't, come from, I don't come from the preacher's home to be the guy that pastors based on my name or my pedigree. But I do have a father, a heavenly father, who regardless of my failures and regardless of the fact that I don't have some Pentecostal pedigree of oratory and precision in preaching, was able to look at a little kid from a farm town and say, but I got a call for you. And if you'll say yes, I'll use you. And scattered across this room, I want to tell you the same way it's damaging in a home. Even if you have a child, if, if you're in here and you've got multiple children like we do, you've got at least one kid whose personality at times. You're laughing. That is a modern amen. That's the giggling amen right there. Okay? You're going to want to do this, so you got to do this. Sometimes while you're doing this, you want to do this. It's normal. But regardless of their personality, you got to love them. you got to try not to show favoritism. Let me tell you one of the most damaging things you can ever do, and I know I'm, 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 I'm kind of in counseling here just a little bit and dealing with the psychology. One of the most damaging things you can ever do is say to your child, if you'd be more like your sister, no. Big X, don't do that. If you can only be more like your brother, don't do that. Don't do that, okay? You say, well, I've already been guilty. Change tonight. My kids are grown. Well, grandkids are coming. Beautiful. Give them sugar, send them home, okay? But don't play the favoritism. Now, let me switch into the modern church. One of the most sly, cunning Tactics of the enemy is to make people feel like you're not in the in crowd. I don't even know what that means. I'm, I've just got to tell you something. I, we used to call them cliques. What do, you, what do you call them now? Is it the same? Cliques, is it still the same thing? I hate that stuff. I just don't like it. Now listen, not everybody can be your best friend. It's not, it's not, not going to be that way. But everybody should be friendly. Everybody should be friendly. Listen, whether you, how many know some people are just more friendly than others? I know this is real practical. Bear with me for a second. Just some people are nicer than other people. Some of you, you're just, it's harder for you to be nice. You don't mean it. You, you, think you're, you think you're nice. You want to be nice. But you're just you. Some of us have to work harder than others. But I will tell you, one of the tricks of the enemy, one of the tricks of the enemy is to make you feel like you don't belong or you don't fit in or I just have my little group or I just have, or I can't get it or... Let me tell you one of the tricks of the enemy. Well, that click makes the decisions. You got to answer to God for that. 
Because he knows the truth. Well, I, I, I bet I could be a teacher if that was my last name. Look at the roster. You don't need the right last name. You just need to live right. Well, I'm not doing those classes. I'm not doing, don't teach. I don't want you to teach. You don't have the right attitude. Nobody should teach that can't be taught. How, how, how do we get on this? Because God's not into favoritism. But God is into honoring those who honor his word. It's fun living for God. Brother Clark, awesome news. He loves you as much as he loves me. That's amazing. The other day, I met somebody. Listen, they haven't, they haven't been in church long. They're just new, new. He loves them as much as he loves me. That's an amazing thing. And so when I recognize that, I don't have to show favoritism, and I definitely don't have to try to manipulate his will into place through my timing. My. Okay. Number three, manipulating the blessing for your benefit has long-term effects on your children. Ready? They're not in here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the statement. If the youth pastor cannot pastor your student, If the youth pastor cannot correct your teenager. Most of you don't even have teenagers in here, so you're like, that's right, boy, that's right. It's tougher when it's your teenager, trust me, okay? But I've been there when I've had to have a kid that got in trouble. I am so thankful for a pastor that taught me early on if you don't respect and let them know that sometimes correction comes and you bail them out, and I thank God that I was able to be in youth ministry and read so many articles and so many books and see the damage of helicopter parenting. I'm gonna tell you, spiritually, I'm afraid it's even worse. Bail them out. There's no way my kid did wrong. How many in here, you're older now, but you know when you were younger, you did wrong? Some of you are like, I don't think I ever did anything wrong. You did. You were a mess. We were. We made decisions we wish we wouldn't have made. Some of you snuck kisses. College kids you listen. <laughs> well, if they did it, I'm pretty sure. Some of you have these vivid memories of taking the car when they said, don't. Some of you, your parents left and they said, don't you have anybody to the house? You said, I would never have anybody to the house. <laughs> and as soon as they left, <laughs> I don't know if anybody besides me ever received a whipping they needed. I can remember, listen, 
Mom, no big deal. When she said, John, big deal. Big deal. I remember those spankings. I still feel those spankings if I close my eyes. You know what? I needed the correction. I do not believe in abuse, and I will fight it tooth and nail. And, and if I hear it, I'll report it. We are a reporting, we don't believe in abuse. We don't stand for it, we don't tolerate it. But I do believe in correction. I do believe the Bible is accurate when it says, spare the rod, spoil the child. And the principle there of leading the next generation. Because the last thing that we want to do is try to manipulate a blessing. Here's, here's what cannot happen. It cannot happen that I prepare the savory meat and I put it all together and I'm going to make Rebecca the church, the mother for a second, and I'm going to prepare the meat and I'm going to tailor make everything for the next generation. The elders had to learn how to seek God sometimes all night long to be able to have something that was pleasing to the father. But if we're not careful, we are going to microwave something for this generation and pass it off as theirs when they haven't even learned how to prepare it. That would be damaging to the next generation. That's why we don't want a weak youth group. I can tell you as a father with three kids in the youth group, I have told Pastor Matthews privately and publicly, you preach the truth to my kids. If you see my kids straying, don't you let my kids go to hell because you're afraid you might offend me. I'll be fine. I'll get over it. But don't. Teach my kids how to pray. Teach them how, I'll try to do my part as the parent, but you try to do your part too. I don't want a manipulated. I want, I want it to be righteous and godly, and I want the next generation to learn how. Why did we have a kids revival in front of the whole church? Why? Not because we love neon. Oh, I don't care if I ever see those suspenders again. <laughs> Why? Did you, if you, if you weren't here, if you missed it or you didn't see it, go back and watch the video and watch the way those kids skip past the message, skip past the singing, get past all of it. Just get to the altar. Watch the way those kids travailed. They I'm going to make a strong statement. Those little kids put some of our other altar calls to shame. They stood and they tarried and they cried and they prayed and they sought God. Why? Because the mother said, this is important. This is important. Wait a minute, they're just little kids. All we should be worrying about is them coloring and drawing and playing on iPads. All right, number four, time. Number four, identify strengths in the next generation and allow them to cultivate them. I wanna make this statement to us for healthy families and for a healthy family as Calvary Tabernacle. It is imperative. Listen, here's the problem. This is one of, my, one of my biggest problems with what Rebecca does. A, it's deceitful. 
How many recognize it's deceitful? God did tell her this was going to happen. But she becomes deceitful to make it happen. And any time that you try to manipulate his will with deceit, Esau was going to hunt. What did Rebekah say? Esau was going to the field to kill a wild. He was going to bring venison back. Rebekah, when she manipulates and deceives, Rebekah says, go get a couple kids from the flock. Anytime deception enters the picture to manipulate the will of God, the flock pays the price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And us thinking we would just bail out. Young adults, you better listen to me right now. You are blessed and you are incredible. You're incre- I am so impressed with that message earlier. I was so impressed by how he just seemed so natural. You seemed so natural. You didn't seem, if you were nervous, we couldn't tell. That was amazing. I was blessed by that. You've probably sat there on the front row the whole time replaying through everything you said in your mind. Right, haven't you? The whole time. I know, I've been there, done that. I understand. Let me tell you in front of everybody, you did amazing. But I don't care how good, listen, wasn't it great? Be faithful. Let me tell you something. No matter how good you ever get at just standing in front of the crowd, you got to be able to wrestle angels alone. You got to be able to get alone in prayer. Because no matter how much the mother loves you, what I see in you is to tell you, you dig in that prayer. You seek the face of God. Good oratory. Decades of living for God will never become a substitute for spending time in this word and time in his presence. Getting alone with God. What is our strength in the next generation? How many would understand and agree with me? We're probably leading the most talented. They're just smart. If you've got a four-year-old, they can Write code almost at this point. They just, it's baffling. If you don't know how to use your phone, give it to them. Let me tell you, we've got to look at them as more than thinking that those giftings are for more than beating the next level on some silly game. My God. That's why I don't have... We cannot afford to dumb this down in this hour. Some people think I preach too strong. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. Obviously, I would be hard to say that about myself, but I, I don't want to back up on this. I think, I think very likely that this is the generation that's going to see the coming of the Lord, and I, I don't want to back up an inch on this. And I, What I don't want either is I don't want to put Esau's coat on Jacob and pretend that they know how to hunt when they don't even smell like the field. And I don't want to sacrifice the flock and try to deceive the father and say, oh, just trust us, it feels right. Because while, while Isaac's eyes might have been dim, the heavenly fathers are not. And he's seeing it all. God forbid he have to look at us and say, well, they're trying to deceive me. I'll go on to the next 
Anybody feel, I hope I'm making sense. I hope I'm helping somebody here tonight. And The third thing that she did was made that food. I'll just prepare it. I'll just prepare it. Listen, you can't do their homework. It's honest. Is somebody doing somebody's homework? Yeah, since the beginning of school. Is there something going around? Is there like a parents doing homework scheme? It's amazing. Every time I bring something up in church, something gets back to me like, we were wondering, is that a thing going on? No, no. It started with the first schoolhouse. Some kid went home and said, I don't know how to do this math. And some parent that didn't want to deal with it was like, it's seven, it's seven. Just put it down. It's seven. <laughs> but how many know you doing your kid's homework and trying to make the writing sloppy so it looks... How many remember going to the science fair and you know that kid didn't do that? You know he didn't do that. He picked his nose all week long. You know he didn't do that. Made a volcano. You can't tie your shoes. But we want our kids to succeed. Right? We do. We want them to succeed. And if we're not careful, our desire for them to succeed is going to mess with our actions to make them fail. There's something about the struggle. I'm done. There's something about the struggle. I don't want them to struggle. They've got to. A little bit, they've got to. Next generation, you've got to. For those of you that are feeling financial pain, for those of you that are, that are feeling emotion, no, I didn't want to deal with this. And if we're not careful, as parents, we want to reach in. And as elders and grandparents, I don't want them to deal with They. The greatest moment of Jacob's entire life is when he's going to hold on to an angel in Genesis 32 until the breaking of the dawn. And he's going to say, let me go. And he's going to touch the, the hollow of his thigh. He's going to put his thigh out of joint. And Jacob won't let go until he finally says, what is your name? Here it is. You can't say Esau. And don't you dare tell me blessed. I want to know who you really are. And we don't see until Genesis 32 what God was talking about when he spoke to Rebecca before she ever put the plan in action. When he said, I'm Jacob. And God said, not anymore. Now that you're finally honest and you see how much fight you've got in you. If I could rewrite this, I would go to Rebecca and I would say, he's got more fight than you're giving him credit for. You let that boy fight. He'll never be the same. I know he'll walk away with a limp, but he's also going to walk away being called Israel. Stand with me. I just want to keep going and you're going to help me. Oh, I want to please you, God. I want to teach my kids to pray. We want to teach these young adults how to get a hold of you. We want to teach our, our young adults, our, our children, our teenagers, our, our young children. We want to teach them, God. You got to get alone with God. 
You got to wrestle if it's necessary. You got to cling. And if you don't know what else to do, you hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't you walk away and don't you let him walk away. Don't you give up early. You got to hold on. You got to. Come on, the only way they're really going to get from Jacob to Israel is if we teach them and if we let them fight, fight, hold, hold, wrestle. Uh, healthy, healthy families and a healthy family of God. What is it about? It's about people that'll get alone and have a move of God without trying to cut corners, without trying to manipulate the will of God. Trying to manipulate the blessing of God. You say, now wait a minute, pastor. You talked about that, but there's been things that have offended me or bothered me or irritated me. There, there's something that happened to my kid or there's something that, listen, listen. You're normal. Pastor, are you saying I should never get upset when something happens to my kid? No, you're normal. Just act saved when it happens. I'm I'm serious. And we, anybody that's normal will wrestle that. Sometimes acting saved is like the hokey pokey. It's like I put my right, take my right foot off, put my right foot in, take it all out. And you battle that. You battle that. I don't want to. I want to be the mad parent. Oh, got the Holy Ghost. That's why I've taught about taking time when frustrated. You don't think we should fight for our kids? Absolutely. Fight. Just make sure you fought in prayer before you fought people. Do you deal with this with a lot of parents? Yeah, myself first. How can you teach this so strong? Because I'm teaching me. I'm teaching me. I'm teaching you. Have you dealt with this with a lot of families? Only almost every family I've ever dealt with. Why? Because we're normal. But how many know? My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. That if we will let them learn to grow, if they will be forced to grow, it'll help them to be the man and the woman for society, the man and the woman for the kingdom of God that they have to be. God... I pray one more time, help us, help us. We want to fight for our kids. We want to fight for what's right. We want to fight for righteousness. Sometimes it's hard to find the balance. We're admitting that tonight, but we're at least saying to you, and I'm asking everybody in the room to say this, we want to please you though. God, we want to please you. Sometimes that's hard. We're not even sure. How should I respond? How should I react? So give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. If I want my kids to be a prayer warrior, I got to be a prayer warrior. If I want my kids to have righteous actions, I got to have righteous actions. If we want the next generation, come on, if I want my grandkids to be faithful in the church without frustration and hurt, I got to try to, I got to mirror that. I got to guard that. I got to cultivate that. 
asking for your help so that we can have healthy families regardless of how it looks. Single parent homes, biological children, adoptive children. This is your family all the same. Maybe you're a single guy. You're a part of the family, the family, the family, the family. Help us to be godly. Help us to be healthy. And I close with these words because there is no real, genuine health outside the instruction of this book. This is real. This is where real health 